You are listening to the Gimme 5 Podcast, episode 28. Rush out on an uptown train, doors open, and she walks in, she's soaking, caught in the rain, her skin shines crystalline. This is the Gimme 5 Podcast, where each week we discuss all things entertainment. It could be streaming TV shows, movies, music, books, whatever. If it entertained us or made us think, we will discuss it. I'm Greg, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Jimmy. Greetings. And Rob. Hello! This week we're kind of hanging out in the sci-fi realm, jumping a little bit into the future with the streaming show Altered Carbon, which has been out on Netflix for about a month. Again, Netflix. Good lord. Killing I know. Mute, which is a feature film-length episode or show on Netflix. Annihilation, which is actually in the theaters. However, if you live in Europe, you'd find it on Netflix. And the movie Game Night, which will someday be available to rent via Netflix. Or Blockbuster. Very likely. So, this is a review show, and there will probably be spoilers. We'll try to avoid any major twists. For example, if you didn't know that skeleton bears are terrifying... And actually like to eat red shirts on Game of Thrones. Or that Jimmy really enjoys pickles. Then you might want to pause and come back later. Just bought a jar tonight. Yeah, you did. <laughs> see, I can see into the future. I knew you were going to be enjoying pickles on the evening that we record. Actually, I read that and I was like, man, I need to go buy some more pickles. Because I really, really, really enjoy pickles. It's it's kind of a thing. Uh, so do, you, <laughs> do, you hear, do you hear that? Future Give Me Five Podcast advertisers? Pickles! We put something in the podcast. People immediately run out and buy it. Sponsor us. Sponsor us. (laughs) He's Pickle Jimmy! So if you are a pickle vendor or pickle producer, you can contact the show. Even if you're not, that's fine. You can find us on Facebook by searching for the Give Me Five podcast. Um, As with any of these, it's spelled out F-I-V-E, not the number five. You can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Give Me Five Pod. Or if you are shy, you can send us a direct email at giveme5podcast at gmail.com and leave us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you are using. We would really appreciate it. It uh, helps with the visibility and uh, that in turn helps us keep the lights on, as Greg likes to say. And we have a store. Swag. Swag. Stuff. T-shirts. We've got swag, so not in the way that, you know, people say panties. that's not true. We don't have those. Maybe soon, but endangered uh, species, endangered. What? That's what kind of not store true. are we running. I have no idea. But the uh, link for that is give me five podcast dot threadless dot com. Check out some of the awesome stuff that we have on there. Uh, There's tranquilizers. And yeah, those two. So moving along, what's new, guys? What's new in your world? Well, Twitter fans or people that follow us on Twitter, I had a little bit of fun and was live tweeting, which is something I never thought I'd ever do or say. (laughs) 
the Academy Awards, which I thought was funny for a couple of reasons. One, the first half of the show, I was live tweeting with the wrong hashtag because I am um, a hashtag uh, inept. Inept, yeah. Awesome. So I was doing Oscars 2017, which apparently was not the correct one. Yeah, pr- probably not. <laughs> but then I then I switched it right around the time that um, Zendaya was on stage, and I said something along the lines of, "For for three middle aged guys, we talk a lot more about Zendaya than we probably should." And left and right, we started getting like liked and retweeted via like eighteen year old girls. Zendaya That's is a thing, fun. apparently. Oh, apparently. Yeah, she's really talented. She was in Spider-Man Homecoming and um, The Greatest Showman. Yep. And she was really good on the stage at the Academy Awards. Uh, So speaking of the Academy Awards, Jimmy – You can find uh, Zendaya Dolls at giveme5podcast.threadless.com. Yes. Can you? They're a good place to store your horse tranquilizers. No, we we, we do not sell Zendaya Dolls. So go on, Greg. I know what you're about to say. I'll put my credit card away. (laughs) Jimmy's favorite director, I think. Yeah. Uh, Visionary, pioneer, um, director, sure. Filmmaker, amazing person. Guillermo del Toro. Got his Academy Award. He did. Yes, he did. For, of course, The Shape of Water, which was Jimmy's number one picture of last year. Uh, Did you watch it or did you just check out a clip afterwards or? I checked out, you know, I was really interested. um, I was out with my girlfriend. And we were actually at East Coast Wings and Grill, which has fantastic wings. And the start of it was on. And we kind of – we were discussing it. And I said, you know, I'd really like to see either Jordan Peele or Guillermo del Toro win Best Director. She was like, yeah, I'd really like to see Jordan Peele win Best Original Screenplay. And I was like, okay, I could live with that. And – uh I watched both of their speeches afterwards. That, that was really all that I was interested in, and uh, I'm super happy for both of them. Yeah, I usually do not watch the Academy Awards, or, and I officially did not for years, mm-hmm. despite being huge movie fans. My wife was big into them, mostly so she could make fun of people's dresses. Uh, they, they, she used to like, text back and forth with her friends and her mom and you know talk about that kind of stuff. And it was cool because she would actually want to go out and see the movie so she could understand the jokes in the opening like song that they used to do. Mm, yeah, I remember that. So this was the first year that I actually watched it. And I did it specifically just to know what was going on for this. And I I actually really enjoyed the show. And yeah, J.B. Kimmel has, has been hosting it, right? Yeah, for two, this is his second year. And I really enjoyed yeah, him. Yeah. It was it was actually uplifting. It wasn't all – there was there was politics, but it wasn't angry politics. It was like, let's go get them. In like a pot, not it, it was positive politics. I thought was was pretty cool, and of course the awards went to for the largely for the people I wanted to see win awards, and the stuff that I actually know what they're talking about. You know, like graphics and sound and stuff like that. I felt that they made the right decisions largely. Um, just you know, some of the awards, of course, best picture went to Shape of Water, which all of us liked. Uh, of course, best director Guillermo del Toro, best screenplay went to Get Out, which two of us liked. And I thought it was a really cool story behind, you know, the fact that he had tried writing this for 20 years and kept on stopping. I thought that was a really neat thought. And I think, I, yeah, I think he said 20 times. 20 times, not 20 years, yeah. And he just he said he kept putting it down because he said there's no way that anybody's going to make this film. There's no way, no way that anybody's going to want to, um, you know, support this film. And uh, I'm glad he was wrong. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad he persisted. Well, I remember – seeing the trailer for that and i was surprised i think it was it might have actually been in one of those like 
not a trailer, but like the thing, the behind the scenes things they play at the beginning of like movies sometimes while you're sitting waiting. Oh, yeah. I saw that and I was like, wow, this seems like a big risk for Hollywood to take. I wonder if this is going to be a Netflix thing or on, you know, even some some smaller cable channel. And then when it hit the theater and it blew up and like I saw the positive reviews, I have to see this. Uh, continuing, uh, one of our favorite movies also for this past year, Coco, which I actually watched again last night. Totally mm-hmm. cried again. I'm sure. The the first time also that uh, the little boy played the guitar, or the, the time he played it on the stage, I looked over and my, my son was standing up and kind of air guitaring with an acoustic, like, strumming his hands and, like, shaking his little hips like Elvis. Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, original song was Remember Me from Coco, which... I disagree with. Earlier... A couple weeks ago on, on our show, we had discussed uh, The Greatest Show. Greatest Showman. Rob Greatest said, Showman. Greatest Showman. Yeah, don't mess that up. Yeah. Rob mm-hmm. will get you. And he said that This Is Me should probably win for Best Original Song, and I said I think it'll be Co- Remember Me. So it turned out I was right, but I'm not actually rubbing my rubbing his face in it because when they did the live performances, they, they did a live performance of Remember Me. They also did a live performance of This Is Me, and... My God, this is me sounded great live. Mm-hmm. They had the real people perform it. It was so good. It's like and people jumped up as soon as it was done. I, I got chills. I really actually did. It is an excellent, excellent song. Um, and, I, and I really think that they were, um, I really think that they, that they got that one wrong, basically. I mean, I, I don't, I don't have too many issues with the other ones that won, but that one, that one, I think they, they, they definitely got wrong because that should have gone to this is me. Another word that I kept my eye on was cinematography, and Blade Runner won it. Blade Runner 2049. Really? And so Roger Deakins. And that one I really thought should win, because that movie, that camera lingered so much on scenes that there had to be interesting stuff to look at. And at the end of each scene, piece, set piece, all I could think about was those scenes look like something I'd want as like a background on my you know, wallpaper on my computer, a poster, something on my cell phone screen. Every single shot exactly. was photo worthy. Yep. So I did some a uh, little bit of research on Roger Deakins because I knew the name, but he had never won an Academy Award after being up for a ton of them. I, I think it was like in the teens, like 15, 16, something like that. Uh, he shot Big Lebowski, Skyfall, Beautiful Mind, No Country for Old Men, Shawshank Redemption. So somehow the guy that did Shawshank Redemption had not worn won an Oscar until now. Uh, Big Lebowski came out 20 years ago this week, actually. So when it hit theaters, I thought that was kind of a neat little thing I found out. Yeah, and it has a cult following. I'm not a fan. I was enjoying that movie. But good for you, <laughs> if you are. Uh, visual effects, it's Blade Runner again. This one I actually personally thought it would be War for Planet of the Apes. So I thought Blade Runner was, was very pretty, but it, not as groundbreaking technically, I thought, as War. No, definitely. But it was also up against that, Guardians 2, The Last Jedi, King Kong. All those. Uh, production design, another big one, Shape of Water. Uh, based on what I know about production design, what, what did you think of that award? Do you guys have opinions on that? Um, I don't really. I, I don't kind of really the overall know. Look, the overall look. So it's set pieces, um, props, everything. Just the overall design what? of the thing. Like how what, does everything What were the together? nominees? Uh, Beauty and the Beast, Darkest Hour, The Shape of Water, Dunkirk, and Blade Runner 2049. Wait, say the first one again. Beauty and the Beast. Oh, okay. So I think that's probably the right. That's probably the right. The right answer. I don't know. I think there's one part in Shape of Water that really uh, make us stand out, and I think you guys know what scene that is. It's a scene that uh, 
made a lot of people in the audience go, what the hell is this? But it makes sense. And it was, it was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, the, the musical segue. Yep. My, for me, it came down to, I picked shape of water personally, just because that facility looked legit. And like, even let's compare it to the movie that I was raving about last week, black Panther, the black Panther lab while looking very cool. It didn't look like anyone has ever worked in there ever. It looked like a, like very a stop in like yeah. horizons or something at Epcot. Because, you know, all of us have worked in computer labs or Rob, you've worked in a hospital mm-hmm. and there's very rarely any open area where there's not stuff laying around, you know, whether it be like bandage packaging or, you know, body parts, or, yeah, body parts or whatever, you know, <laughs> corpses in some cases. But I thought the shape yeah. of water looked like a facility thing, all the way down to the water stains on the wall and the, you know. Have you guys played Bioshock at all? Oh, yeah. I have not. I have. Okay. Well, it was very Bioshock. Um, and it, I, I love that style. So, you know, I, I would definitely agree with that award, although I'm not a member of the Academy. So. Not yet. Who am I? Who are you? Not podcasting. Yet. It's only episode 28. By episode 100, we're starting to get, we'll get our letters. And the last one that I cared about was sound mixing, which, why would I care? But that one went to Dunkirk because it, one of the guys that mixed it was a guy named Gary Rizzo, who, of course, is a graduate of the school that Jimmy and I work for. And he gave us a shout out mm-hmm. from the stage. Oh, and, really? You know, all the people that, yeah, he said, you know, spe- special. By things. us, he means Not wholesale. us, like our podcast, but he gave Full Sail University a shout out oh. and talked about that, how, yeah. you know. <laughs> that's Rob got that's really less excited. cool. So did like I. I like I wouldn't have called you immediately and told you. <laughs> but, dude, did you hear that? Gary is a Hall of Famer at, um, at Full Sail. Uh, by all accounts, a really nice guy. I haven't met him personally. But this is someone that I think second two weeks ago. Oscar? Yeah, it's a second Oscar. His first one was for uh, uh, the Spinning Top movie with, Len- spinning with Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio. Inception, Inception, yeah. First one was for Inception. Yeah. And very cool that he won this, but also I think very, very cool that, I mean, just two weeks ago, he was at on campus teaching students how to do stuff and doing seminars and doing that. And he comes back every year regardless. So he like won the Golden Globe, took a week off, came to Full Sail, taught a bunch of students for an entire week, and then went back out and won an Oscar. So definitely very cool of him. I've interacted with him once. I said hi. He said hi. It was nice. That was about it. Cool. Oh, another little bit of exciting news. Danny Carey, the drummer from Tool, has finally announced that they are back in the studio. After and 75 years, we're going to get another Tool album. Yeah, their this last year, album was called 10,000 Days, and I'm pretty sure 10,000 Days is going to be the amount of time between the two albums. Actually, probably even more than that, since the last one came out in 2006. Ooh, <laughs> wow, that long ago? 12 yep. years ago? I can remember where I bought that. I bought that at Target on University and Goldenrod wow. here in Winter Park. Wow. And Best Buy that's currently three miles from my house right now. But I I remember getting that, that album. Uh, I still listen to it all the time. And it's been a really long time coming for a new album because there was some copyright issues that were preventing mm-hmm. them from going into the studio. Those got resolved. Danny Carey said that they're definitely going to release an album by 2018. And they're currently in the studio cutting tracks. Um, they're notoriously, uh, uh, they take a long time for albums, not just when they're not recording, but even after they start recording. So I don't know if they're going to make that 2018 deadline. Like yeah. like Patrick Rothfuss long or... No. Longer, Probably. or or George R. R. Martin long, longer. Wow, maybe George R. R. Martin long. I don't know. Maybe 
I don't, I'm not even sure there was more than 12 years between books. Um, Mater James Keenan and the rest of the guys in Tool have definitely been very active. There's actually a new Perfect Circle album coming out this year. So it's, it's a little lofty or ambitious, I should say, to have a Perfect Circle, Circle album and a Tool album come out in the same year because those are going to compete for, yeah. you know, um, spots on billboard charts and not only that but downloads and and purchases so i mean tool has what i hope so out total i think i think there's four albums for undertow opiate um anima and 10,000 days days. and then yeah and it's they're one of those bands that when they release album it's going to sell out it's going to be the number one album because i think that everyone that likes tool they, they've earned enough trust to where people are just going to buy it, even if they didn't hear a song from it. I mean, they've basically been touring on 10,000 Days since 2006. So I was really excited to hear there's new stuff coming out. I'm really interested to hear which direction they go, considering and they've all their different side projects. and, and The new, new Perfect Circle track is amazing. I can't wait for that album. Um, we actually forgot one between Enema and 10,000 Days. There was Lateralis. Oh, uh, Lateralis. Okay, yeah. Yep, I remember that one as well. Remember where I got that one also? Same Best Buy. I think I got that the same. No, I have no idea. But I <laughs> I remember the album cover. I remember holding that in my hand. So can't wait. New tool album. More stuff for us to talk about later on. So as alluded to um, a, a bit earlier uh, in regards to Netflix, absolutely crushing it, in my opinion, with oh, their original completely. programming. Um we have all three got the chance to watch all 10 episodes of Altered Carbon, which is a new Netflix original series. It was very binge-worthy. When I started watching it, I didn't want to stop. But yeah, no, me either. I think for me, I watched Yeah, I watched an episode, and then I was like, okay, um, watched another episode, okay. And I, I think once I hit episode three, it was, oh, I can't stop. So it took me about four days to get through. Altered Carbon is, it, we've seen it a lot recently. It's very much set in that dystopian Blade Runner-esque future. You know, neon everywhere. Seems like it's always raining. It's it. giant holographic advertisements. To me, I kept describing it as like a cross between like uh, Demolition Man. Um, Ooh. Um, oh, now I can't dread. remember. Dread. I think it's yeah. got some Dread, got some Blade Runner. Yeah, Blade, Blade Runner, uh, Demolition Man, and... Um, what was Toy Story name? Three? Yes, Toy Story Three. That was it. No, that that wasn't it. And of course, Ghost Dad <laughs> and Jack Frost as well. Yes, yeah. No, all mashed together. So it definitely had that that aesthetic, and it was uh, very well done. And it made you think a lot. I would say it was on the f- the official story was wrapped around like a mystery, but it was about more than that. Uh, how did you How did you feel like with the whole plot? Personally, I felt that the plot was perfect for the 10 episodes. I don't think it's straight away like some other Netflix shows did, like trying to put in three or four episodes in the middle that just lengthen the season, but they don't really push the plot along. I thought that this was perfect at, at 10 episodes. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Go ahead, Rob. No, I, I, I agree. They, they, they did a really good job of not getting drawn out onto other like plot threads. They kind of kept it all focused on one plot line. They, it kind of, you know, it, it had a good pacing to it. They didn't stray from the original plot and, and they essentially wrapped it up. So if it doesn't get another season, 
you don't feel like you're missing something. But at this point, I can't see it not getting another season. I think I, it's already good to go on another season. Oh, fantastic. Sweet. And um, it's based on books. I think there's three of them. Oh, are there? And they, from what I've heard about the books is they time jump significantly. And the vehicle right. for the vehicle for time jumping is kind of built into what the story is about. Mm-hmm. Can I just say that, Rob, I was talking to someone the other day about this mm-hmm. and said the exact same thing that you did. If it were not to come back for a second season, I'd be okay with that. Well, I'd, I'd be like, disappointed I, I, if it didn't I would, come back. Well, but Yeah, that's absolutely. And that's what I meant. Like, I'd be a little sad that, you know, it wasn't continuing because I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But the way that it was wrapped up at the end, it was like, okay, I can live with that. And and the way that it was wrapped up. Made it wraps up its part of the story. Yeah, but it, it made me slightly sad because it made me think oh, that, yeah. that the next season won't have one of my favorite characters in it. Probably all of our favorite character. Yeah, so I guess we can talk about who that was. Yeah, I thought that the Poe character Poe was, was so phenomenal. unique, was so yeah. unique, and whenever he was on the screen, I felt comfortable, like protected. For some reason, like when he was when he was on the screen, I felt like the main character was not going to be in trouble. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. That's and crazy. For those of you out there that are listening, and Poe is basically Edgar Allan Poe, but he is the head of an AI hotel, and which the is reason, a hotel yes. that's completely run by artificial intelligence. Right, and the reason he calls himself Poe is because the hotel is called The Raven. Or perhaps maybe the hotel is called The Raven because he likes the personification of Edgar Allan Poe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he is an AI, as Greg said, runs his hotel, and the hotels don't, these AI hotels don't see many people at all. So when these you know, hotels get guests, they latch on and they... Which is why they don't see many guests. Right. Because mm-hmm. right. people are like, oh, stay away from those AI hotels. They'll follow you around and stalk you forever. But They refer to them as crazy is... ex-girlfriends, like a crazy ex-girlfriend, actually, <laughs> yeah. several times in the show. Yeah, but I, Greg, you nailed it, I think. Um, it, you know, saying what you said about, you know, the main character, uh, Takashi Kovach being protected and and safe while he was with Poe. And um, what a phenomenal character. Yeah, which is introduced right at the beginning, pretty much, of the whole series, kind of within the first episode, where, you know, the main character is in trouble with some people that are that want to kill him or do him harm. Mm-hmm. And he has yet to pay Poe or pay the hotel for his stay there and therefore pay for his protection. So as soon as he pays, basically the yep. entrance of the hotel, <laughs> Gatling guns drop down from the ceiling and take care of situations on their own. Yeah. So effing awesome. But but my other favorite character I don't think will be back either, and that was uh uh Officer Ortega. I, I mean she could see she could be back, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be out of place for them to just take the story into another locale. Agreed. Um I could see and hopefully we would see some maybe assistance from her and even from Stryker. In there because I thought she was a phenomenally uh, strong, badass character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely, all five foot three of her. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> she looked like a, a little tiny person next to Joel Kinnaman, who played you know the main character. Uh, Joel Kinnaman was also in. Uh, he was Murphy in the latest incarnation of RoboCop. But in in some capacity, I would hope to see her back. 
maybe like a, oh, hey, here, let me help you out with this kind of deal. But mm-hmm. I think the, the story would, would take the main character away from there. Yeah, the overall story of Altered Carbon, it, it sets you in a world where bodies are basically referred to as sleeves. Mm-hmm. And your memories are considered a stack if it's and they basically download your memories, store them, and they can upload them into new sleeves, whether you get old and pass away or whether you burn out your body or you get killed whenever you're or, it's, a stack, it's essentially a, a hard copy of your consciousness. So your yeah. consciousness mm-hmm. is stored on these stacks that that all new babies are implanted with by the time they're one and all of their experiences and, and basically their consciousness, they call it, is um, is stored on this stack that's in their verte- their cervical vertebra. And mm-hmm. if the body dies, which is why they just call them sleeves, if the body dies, you can be essentially re-sleeved in another body. And they have like cloning facilities and they have, you know, um, stuff like that to produce bodies. And that that's kind of the the focal point. But one of the things I think that that um, they they address a little bit is that murder really isn't murder anymore. They just call it sleeve death. Um, mm-hmm. Now they do refer several times uh, throughout the show to real death or RD. They call it real death. Yeah, um, and that's when that's when you destroy someone's stack, and that's like one of those unforgivable crimes. But. Mm-hmm. Or if the person has re- opted to not be stacked because they're religious, because it's against their religion, correct? Which comes up a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and the stack thing is kind of cool. Well, no, because like they're they're still stacked. The religious people are still stacked. They just have a coding in their stack that allows them not that that prevents them from being resleeved. So they only get one life. Okay, but it's interesting because I mean, you they if someone dies or is is unstacked or whatever they want to call it. They could wait 40 years to bring someone back, which is basically what happens, I believe to the main character. It was yeah, 250, 250 years. years. Yeah. Wow. 40. I was wrong, but yeah, way I, wrong. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it, they brought him back. Oh, uh, no, they just, the 40 came from the, the next novel came is 40 years later. That's what it was. Gotcha. Um, but there's that. There's also the idea of like, if you, you haven't I have up, too many books to read. Yeah. If you don't back up and something happens to you, then you, kind of don't realize what happened to you so mm-hmm. which is kind of which is what happened with the the person that hires uh kovach Lawrence bancroft yes played and, by james purefoy who i spent like the first two or three episodes going who is that guy i know him i've seen him in other stuff <laughs> i got a real creepy vibe from him right away because the last thing i saw him in was in that serial killer tv show on fox uh yeah i i I don't recognize him from anything, so I had to do a little bit of research, and I love that into his uh, IMDb page, like the second or third thing down, is uh, he's he's listed as Guetta's friend from David Guetta featuring Sam Martin, Dangerous. I was like, oh, it just made me laugh for some reason. It's like, I think it's a music video. Yeah, because Guetta's a DJ, French DJ. Yeah, he was like his friend. Wow, <laughs> he was listed as. That made right. me laugh. He was in Rome. This this stack thing. I actually, it, you, I'm looking at the notes that you took while you were watching, and there's a lot oh, of yeah. nudity. Dot 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 nudity. Dot 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 nudity. Dot dot. <laughs> so let's talk about that because that was. Yeah, fun. there is a reason for that. So why don't you elaborate on? So that? there's a lot of nudity, both male and female, in the, in mm-hmm. this thing. And what I thought is interesting. First of all, the the showrunner is uh, is female. Uh, Leta Calagridis, which I probably just horribly mispronounced. 
Probably. And she said in a quote that she that she put the, uh, as much nudity in there as she possibly could, and because um, our worst instincts as human beings, this is her quote, our worst instincts as human beings have to do with our carelessness with natural resources. And when the body itself becomes just one more of those resources, how will we treat it? We'll treat it with such indifference and such depersonalization that becomes like a very fancy car than a repository of the, the repository of the self. So basically what she did was she wanted people to be like, look, if you see me naked, I'm just walking around. If you do anything terrible for me and I feel dirty about it, I'll just restack myself, get a new body. If someone sees me doing something gross or has pictures of me naked or whatever, who cares? It's not really my body. It's someone else's body or it's a clone body. I'll just move on. Jeff, I just found it really interesting and it made some very much sense. It is. Yeah, it's uh, – I'm watching it and I'm going, man, this is really excessive. But – and I brought that up to you in conversation. I said, man, it, I'm not really, you know, like freaked out by it or anything or, or pretty sure or anything. But I was like, what? you know, it's it's a lot. And you explained that to me and I said, oh, it makes mm-hmm. sense. So because the body, the body, <laughs> the body or the sleeve is a commodity. And if it gets damaged, there are all these upgrades you can fix. You can get a new one. If you and have if the money for it. The super wealthy. Yeah. That's exactly where I was going. If you are one of these super wealthy, then you, you know, as long as you don't, you know, you don't fall victim of real death, then you can basically live forever. In whatever body yeah. that you want. Yeah, and it, it shows in people having very weird, you know, there's people, as you wrote down, people are drinking all the time. People are not making smart decisions. All the and, time. And there's and visiting sex workers and doing all the things that most people with the, that don't want to die in our world probably don't do. And and one of the things, one of the things that they touch on a lot is the, is the disparity between the haves and have nots. Um, they, they do illustrate a couple of times, like the, the, I think it was the very first episode where they, they bring, they bring Takeshi back and they put him in the striker sleeve. Mm-hmm. And as he's being walked out, you see a, another person who was just resleeved because she was killed, but she was an eight year old girl who they put in like an 80 year old woman's like, body. Mm-hmm. And because yeah. the family yeah. didn't have any money for a better sleeve, they got what was on hand. So what was on hand mm-hmm. was an eighty-year-old was an eighty-year-old lady who looked like she'd been beat up pretty badly, and and she came out and she's like, "Mommy," and they're like, "Oh my God, what what did you do?" And they basically told mm-hmm. him, "They said if you don't like it, you know, pay for an upgrade." Yeah, and there, there's a reason why, you know. Kovac's character is put into, as you mentioned, Stryker's sleeve, who Stryker's a, he's a big guy. He's a strapping guy. He's very handsome. So you're like, wow, why did they, why did he get such a, a lucky deal? Yeah. Well, there's a reason for that. When there's, there was um, some, in this case, I think 100% made up controversy about that because they're like, well, it's whitewashing because the character actually, the person before he died was Asian. Yeah. But it gets put in. But that's the whole point. I, yeah, I, um, I agree. I, I I don't think that that's. Yeah, go ahead. And anyone that was complaining was hadn't seen it yet. Yeah, I I will definitely agree with that. And it's not like the other character didn't get to the other actor didn't get to show up quite a bit in dream sequences and um his overall story. Yeah, it, he it was, appears quite. It a bit. was very clear that this is who he is. 
you know, Takeshi Kovach is mm-hmm. this guy right here. And, and, you know, as you got several, several uh, episodes in, you, you kind of associated the striker sleeve with the Takeshi Kovach body, even though, even though you were mm-hmm. still seeing the striker sleeve on the screen, you still saw him as that Asian, or at least I did. I still saw him as that Asian guy. I did. Yeah. I, I saw I did. Yeah. whenever I thought about it, I saw hit the battle in his apartment that they kind of open up the yeah. first show with. Mm-hmm. How cool were the uh, mm-hmm. Praetorian? One of the things um, I, oh, I have cool. to say, one of the things I didn't understand, and I don't, I, maybe I just missed it, um, but they never really did address, or at least I never heard them address that whole that whole seeing through wall things that she asks about in the first episode. What you can see through walls now, like she's surprised that he can do it. And then they never really address like how that ability came about. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I'm not sure on that one. I I don't remember that now. I I know what you're talking about, and um, I think you're right. I don't I don't think they ever really touched on that after the. So fact. I, I, I except for the fact it. that you can buy enhancements. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, but but see, he had that ability when he was in his original body. So, and I was like, I was like, what? How did? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it it was just kind of one of those things that there it was, and it didn't get brought up. It didn't factor into the rest of the story. Um, well, he used the ability so a couple of right. times throughout the first season. The ability came up a couple of mm. times, but they never really addressed like where it came from or or any of that. And that that right, and that was one of the things that I was like, "What? Okay, well." Now I do want to talk about some the when I saw it. I think I finished it before you guys. Like I said, I was a little addicted to it. There was one scene that, that stayed with me for a while and probably still does. And Jimmy guessed it, but there are, I'm not going to go too deep into it, but this is a bit of a warning. If you guys don't, you guys listening, don't like anything that is too creepy or violent. Um, there is basically a group of prostitutes. that are up on this floating base, which I forget the name of the floating base. Do you guys remember it? It's like the something yeah. in the clouds, right? That's it. That's it. I'm sorry. Head in the clouds. Head in the clouds, yeah. No. Yeah, I was actually trying, so I was trying to research and find more information about that ability, but go on. It reminded me of the yeah, so ability uh, that you had in uh, the game Perfect Dark for Nintendo 64. Oh, I love yeah. that game. Go on. So there's Head in the Clouds where basically these rich, important people can go and they have the opportunity to live out some of their darkest fantasies in this basically floating... Which are... It kind of looks like a floating Apple store. All <laughs> super effed up. Yeah, and there are these prostitutes that basically say you can do whatever you want to me. You can murder me. So they have like a table full of like, you know, chainsaws and all sorts of stuff. And they are so earnest about, well, oh, don't you like me? Don't you want to stab me with this ice pick? And what we know as viewers is that these people aren't going to get restacked. Re-sleeved. So they're all willingly re-sleeved. giving up their body and part of the fan resleeved. And they're willingly giving up their body to these overly rich people. Thinking that they're going to get an upgrade. Thinking that they're going to come back. And they're not, and it's it was just really unsettling how earnest they were, and it was super how that was part of the fantasy in itself, and that stayed with me. Like mm-hmm. that was one of the episodes that when that when that, I think it was the second to last episode that kind of comes mm-hmm. out, and I, that's when I stopped. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I have to take a break, and I'll watch the last episode tomorrow. <laughs> it's like, wow, that was the the dark. the the one thing that that um, really kind of. Um, I don't know that I'd say disturbed me, but was like, man, that would that would really really suck. Is that whole VR interrogation? Thing. Oh yeah, um, go ahead. That was out because the way 
what one of the what yeah one of one of the methods that they've developed in in this uh reality is they they can take your consciousness into a basically a VR room and torture you until you die mentally you know in, in your in your mind you die and and you suffer all of this pain and then they just reset the program and do it again and then they just reset the program and do it again yep. And then they just reset the program and do it again. And it's like, yep. oh my God, how do I, I, and at, Yeah. And it's vivid the way they show it, it and the way they even they describe it, even if they weren't showing what was going on, they talk about what they're doing. And as elaborated on during, you know, uh, Kovach's torture sequence by Kel, um, she says to Kovach that the construct within the construct, your mind makes it real. So, they even allude to the, uh, there's like a scene where they say, Oh, you know, by the time your friends come out of there, they're not going to be, you know, saying at all. It, you know, it's a way of driving people crazy mm-hmm. to, to get information out of them. And it's intense. Yeah. It's, it, it, and, and the, the one where they actually burned him alive and then just reset it. I was like, Oh God. Mm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Then they put mm-hmm. those weird snake things inside of him. Yeah. For you guys that haven't watched it, there if you have a hard time with torture and pretty intense sex and definitely violence, don't watch it with your kids. Probably not the show for you. But No. Yeah. <laughs> you save Ninja Scroll for that. If you're gonna want to watch something with your children, definitely watch Ninja Scroll. I did not say that. Send send Jimmy all the angry emails. To Greg. Greg. Nope. Yes, to Greg. Care of Jimmy at the Gibby <laughs> Now before we kind of wrap it up on Alter Carbon. I wanted to know what you guys thought of Lizzie's story. That was kind of the story within the story. Kind of the central nerve of the story, it. in my opinion. I wanted to... I loved it. The I actress, to slap she her was dad so several good. times. So Lizzie is the daughter. Yeah. Lizzie's the, the daughter, mm-hmm. right? That's yes. being trained by Poe. Mm-hmm. She's she's she is having psychosurgery performed on her within the VR construct because she suffered a traumatic sleeve death somebody. at the hands of somebody. uh people like well okay somebody um you'll have to see you know you'll have to watch to find out but Poe who is our protector um of the main character Kovach he's also helping rehabilitate um this girl exactly and uh, like you said i wanted to slap her dad several times um he was a badass he was a great character and, but and making really really questionable process. decisions i mean i under i i understood mm-hmm. his his desire for things to be fixed and his impatience for things to be fixed but th- when he saw that it was working i don't i don't understand why he kept insinuating yeah. himself into into the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, dude, trust the process. It's working. Stop. And she came back with a freaking vengeance. And an upgrade. And it was, yeah, it oh, yeah. was so much fun to watch um, her kind of come into the real and do what she did. And all the while, she had this kind of almost kind of carefree look on her face. Like she was enjoying it, but not enjoying it too much. I just thought it was a beautiful sequence. There's a, a part where she um, goes up to 
attacks someone and she there's a mm-hmm. lot of jumping off the wall attacks in this show. Very good. The mm-hmm. fight scenes are phenomenal, but there's a part where Lizzie Lizzie jumps off the wall and spins and like punches somebody and I lost it. I was jumping up and down, you know, um that story within the story of, you know, redemption or revenge was fantastic. It was multi-layered. The show was phenomenal. And uh as soon as I heard that there were books, I said, oh, no, because I have to read them now. Yeah, if you listen to our interview with Richard Knack last week, you'll know that he's got about 50 novels. So um, we've read one of them. You've read one of them. So you're you're only at 49 to deal with. Yeah, I read one of them. Well, Rob did, too. So anyway, uh, so I one, I think it's doing fairly well on Netflix. I do think. The one other little thing is I think that they mishandled the marketing a little bit at Netflix. Kind of bungled it a little bit. Yeah, because it's a great show. It's one of the highest budgeted streaming shows, streaming only shows. And it came out the Friday before the Super Bowl, which is great. But then at the Super Bowl, they They announced uh, Cloverfield Paradox, which made everyone immediately go to watch Cloverfield Paradox because they're like, hey, this is on Netflix right now. Now, they did one smart thing with that, and they had... After you finish Cloverfield Paradox, it actually started playing the first episode of Altered Carbon, if you went through that. Problem being, Cloverfield Paradox wasn't all that great, so probably a lot of people didn't go through it. And I think it really kind of ruined what could have been an event-style TV show for the right audience. Agreed. But but if they get to season two, which it looks like there's going to be one, then I'll be happy. I agree. I Yeah, I very much look forward to the premiere of that. Mute finally came out. Um, been really looking forward to this one. It is the latest. Well, by now, there's probably another Netflix original out by the time of this recording. Or by the time you actually hear it. Sorry. I do believe a new movie called Veronica came out. That's supposed to be a horror movie that, As according director, to what I've, what I've heard, is people have been turning it off. I've heard really? people have been turning it off because they've been so scared of it. Now, that never works for me, but I will eventually watch it. and I'm sure we'll talk about it on here, but go on. Yeah, soon. So Mute is the new film from director Duncan Jones. As you know, we've talked about Duncan Jones is the son of the late David Bowie. He's also directed Moon and the Warcraft movie, which I had not seen. We've talked about it before. So anyway, Mute is a story of an Amish man in a futuristic Berlin and his girlfriend goes missing and he's on a quest to find her. Basically, what? I thought that the Amish, I thought the Amish angle was very interesting because it's it was growing up in Pennsylvania. I didn't run into Amish people quite as much as one would assume, but you do run into them, and it's and I don't mean that in a literal sense. As occasionally they are going down a highway on a, a horse on a horse and buggy. It's fine. They're never going to hear this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, I just thought it was really interesting in a world that technology is almost every part of an aspect of these people's lives that he has to actively avoid it, whether it be from sitting with his back to a television or not having a cell phone or having the oldest cell phone possible. <laughs> I thought it was a, just a really interesting little addition to the story, the overall story. Yeah. He had like a Nokia engage in this future. There's really no reason for anyone to not be able to speak with as far as technology has advanced other than you know, the reason the main character has here is that he's Amish and he, you know, does his best to avoid um, 
you know, what technologies that he can. And, you know, he was injured as a child and I think it was like hit by a propeller of a boat. Yeah. He was, he yeah, fell off the boat but, and the boat went over him. And his mother was given the option. Oh, we can save his voice, but we have to, you know, make an implant or do surgery. And she rejected that because of their way of life. So yeah, he's, he's not able to talk. He's got, he's got a girlfriend. They both work at a, a bar. She's like the dancer. She, she's the, uh, not the dancer, but she's a cocktail waitress at a strip club. Mm-hmm. He's the bartender. And there's various things going on where there's some CD people in this bar. Uh, one of which I believe the owner of the bar is played by Paul Rudd. And uh, he's not the owner of the bar. Not. Oh, who, okay. who is he? He's very seedy. Who I've never seen Paul Rudd in this type of role. Uh, he always plays someone who's very amiable, even as an Ant Man, where he's supposed to be like a reformed criminal. He doesn't ever seem sleazy. But in this, he was really he did a great job in this with his creepy porno stash and just. Uh, it was super a, super seedy, but multifaceted and, too. Yeah, he was seedy. He was into a lot of bad things, but he also was caring for a daughter. He was a caring father. Yeah, and there were even parts in the beginning where you're like, "Oh, I kind of like this guy." Mm-hmm. And then he's got he's connected uh, to Leo, who's the main character. He's connected to his girlfriend, and you find out he's not really a great dude at all. And as we've said a few times that I think that's what makes a villain memorable. Yeah. If they're multifaceted, if you're, if you just hate every aspect of them and you don't see eye to eye with them, they become a caricature of a villain rather than an actual viable villain. And he basically wanted to get out of the world he was in and get some uh, IDs or visas to get back to the United States from where he is. And he, but he was willing to do whatever CD crap possible so you're like okay i understand that but then you saw the extent of the cd crap and it was yeah he's um trying to get a visa trying to get his name cleared so he can return to the u.s because he is actually a wall and that's absent without leave from the military and i just thought it was a again beautiful cool looking future uh, memorable characters interesting technology yeah Mm -hmm. two Basically, I watched those two things back to back between Ultra Carbon and this, and they could theoretically exist in the same world. Just seems like it. I mean, other than the sleeving thing, but it was just aesthetically, it was very, very similar. And I, I like spending time in those worlds. Nice. I, I will definitely, probably, or definitely, probably, I will definitely check it out at some point. Because uh, after you read all fifty of those novels, because <laughs> I, uh, well, I mean, I, I really enjoyed Altered Carbon, and if this is if this is kind of you know fits into that area, that genre, then I'll, then I think I might enjoy it. So Rob, I think you would definitely enjoy it. It, um, it's very much set in that world. It's very neon. It's very futuristic. The technology is, is super cool in it. Um, not nearly as graphic as, you know, some of the scenes in altered carbon, but there are some, some surgery type scenes and, uh, Greg actually Gilbert Awar. Uh, plays Maxime, who is the owner of the bar. Oh, okay. In mute. So definitely check it out. I will. I will definitely check it out. So I'm going to change the uh, the mood here real quick. Um, we've we've been kind of. You kinda... always do, Rob. You always. Yeah. Do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it a little more lighthearted. I I actually had an opportunity to go see the movie Game Night, which uh, stars Jason Bateman, Rachel McAdams. Um, 
It's got it's got several people in it, but um, Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams are the two are the two main headliners, and it's it is Jason Bateman in all of his Jason Bateman glory. I I really enjoy he's, a lot. Of, he's funny. Yeah, I really enjoy a lot of the movies that he's in. Um, I mean, granted, he plays almost the same character in every movie, but he plays yep. it so well that I honestly I don't even mind. But yeah, and. And there's there's some really really interesting interesting uh, dynamics in the in the movie. Uh, the whole premise basically of the movie is that these friends get together for a game night, uh, like once a week or once every couple of weeks. And Jason Bateman's brother, who is always giving Jason Bateman a hard time, shows up and has this game night planned where it's like a kidnap mystery kind of thing. You know, it's it's a game where they come in and they kidnap the they kidnap one person and you have to try and figure out you have to try and hunt them down. It's like a murder mystery. And everything goes wrong when they realize that the people who came in to kidnap somebody weren't part of the weren't part of the plan. Yeah, they weren't in on it. Right. They weren't in they on were it. They were actual bad guys. Right. And they were they actually kidnapped somebody. And then then just the the whole comedy of errors where they try to find them. They rescue him thinking that it's still a game because they, the people who find him don't know that it's a game yet. And, you know, they're, <laughs> they're, they're going up against these thugs with guns and stuff. And they end up, you know, it's, it, it, it's just really, really comical. They did a great job. I love Rachel McAdams. I think she's excellent. Um, and like I've said, I love Jason Bateman. Yeah. But some of the best interactions were with the character Gary, who plays, um, uh, it's played by Jesse po- Plemons. Oh. Uh, Jesse Plemons. He was in Breaking Bad. Plemons, that's right. And uh, he was in the Black Mirror episode that we talked about, about this outer space video yep. game thing. Yeah. It's Todd. Todd, yeah. Todd from Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. And and he he does this creepy character so <laughs> well. And, and he's, he's just like a complete... <laughs> social idiot you know i mean he doesn't understand how social interaction works like (laughs) almost every time they see him he's standing there kind of creepily petting his dog and he's like are you coming over for dinner (laughs) they're like there's a there are a couple of scenes in the trailer that made me laugh out loud and and one of them and i see them and they still make me laugh when i saw the movie yeah yeah he opens the door for people and he just kind of stays fixed on them the whole time he's got the really creepy look on his face and he just kind of like creepy really backs well. into the darkness and he just slowly backs into the darkness and they're like yeah. uh, uh do we go in yeah <laughs> what do what do what do we do because <laughs> he yeah it's like he just slowly disappears <laughs> it it looks really funny and you know when i actually got out of Annihilation, I texted you guys and I said, oh, wow, you know, that was really crazy. And you said Game Night was really funny. And I said, I've never even heard of that. And I immediately watched the trailer and uh, I I really want to see it. And you're selling it very well. It was was really cute. It was very funny that they had a lot of like really, really neat interactions with, like I said, I loved the interactions between Gary and and the the married couple of Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams. The, the director of that movie is uh, Jonathan Goldstein. He he did horrible bosses, and I think the stuff that he does really well are really funny comedies that have just a dark side to them. Because horrible mm. bosses has a 
it was it funny was hilarious it's one of those movies that when it's on tv i'll leave it on if i just happen to be you know scrolling through mm-hmm. channels but it has a, a major dark side because there's a, a murder in it and of course this what you described there's a kidnapping and you know real guns and real like darkness but it doesn't the dark side doesn't take away from the comedy and the comedy doesn't take away from the dark side so he's really good at balancing that yeah yeah and it's 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 a really enjoyable movie there's there's a couple of ni- nice little twists um so yeah it, it, i i definitely recommend it you should check it out if you get an opportunity just another little but, thing about the director he also he got announced as being the director of flashpoint which is gonna be the uh, flash movie in 2020 oh really so oh again, an actual movie movie or a tv movie uh movie movie oh, so okay. a flash like time travel screwing up the past and changing the future kind of thing if in the comics you know just as an example in the comics um bruce wayne as a little boy gets killed in an alleyway after flashpoint happens and bruce wayne's father becomes batman which is you know one of the, the little tw- just little twists here and there because of going back in time and changing something in the timeline so i've mm-hmm. of course this will be more centered on flash than than batman but Flashpoint should be a cool movie, and if it ha- Flash is known as a little bit of a lighthearted character, so with that tone, I, super funny in Justice I League. I think it is the right choice by DC as long as they don't freak out and fire him like they do with every other one of their good directors. He actually was the best character in Justice League, the Flash. Agreed. I liked Wonder Woman mostly, that, but yeah, I think Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman just had that weird. That weird scene at the beginning. I mean, all in all, I like Wonder Woman, but as far as faster as far than as all of the speeding bullets. <laughs> yeah, as as far as just uh, Justice League was concerned, I have to say that Flash was probably the best character. Yeah, probably. Without without Flash in Justice League, I would have said that that movie took itself way too seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Okay, and we're going to move on from the movie theater to another movie. This one being way way darker, and it's Annihilation. Yeah. Way darker. Annihilation, it had the very uh, bad situation of coming out one week after Black Panther has been destroying all of the the theater records. So it kind of came out under the radar, first of all, and it hasn't made a lot of money. But when I saw that first trailer, it looked really interesting to me. So I I had Friday night off and basically snuck out to like a midnight movie. It is – so Annihilation is Alex Garland who did Ex Machina. It's his follow-up to that movie. Mm -hmm. And also – Literally, just before we started recording, there were, Alex Garland hit the news for something that I did not know. It was announced that he actually was the real director of Dread. Oh, by this by oh wow by Carl Urban, who was Dread. Basically, there was a lot of problems with the other director. I'm not sure what order they came in. There was the person that had been announced as being the director, and he wasn't allowed final cut, is what everyone thought. So they said that uh, that Garland came in. And did the edit. But what actually happened was, I think he actually filmed more than half of the movie. And Carl Urban basically admitted and, it like literally three hours ago or two hours ago when we were about to record. Wow. And Dread is, uh, if you haven't seen it, we've, we've talked about it a little bit. That was another one of those ones that was just totally mishandled because when it came out, I think it was just Dread 3D. Mm-hmm. And people are like, I don't really care. Yeah, they, they didn't, they but didn't they, market it very well. A, Mm-mm. This was like a Stallone movie. What I don't, Why are I don't they get it, that. But man, yeah. it was fantastic. They didn't play up the fact that there's years of history in, of British comics of this dread character. But anyway, back to Annihilation. So Annihilation, this this dome that they call the Shimmer, basically appears over an area mm-hmm. called the Southern Reach, which I believe is Louisiana. 
Yeah, let me just real quick. I want to talk about how this came out, and you said it kind of it had the unfortunate, um, you know, timing. I guess timing. Yeah, that's ex- that's the exact good timing. Um, but it even from the trailer, I didn't look at the trailer and say, "Man, that looks really interesting. I want to go see it." I said, "That looks like some six hour long art school project," and I don't care about that movie until a friend of mine was you know absolutely raving about it and i said all right well there's really nothing out right now so i guess i'll go see it and i'm super glad that i did that's kind of what happened to me the trailer almost had two parts to it it was like this group of well-armed women walking into this dome and also all sorts of weird nature things happening Mm -hmm. oh there's pretty flowers my first thought Uh, with that was weird i've already seen alien covenant why are they making another one that's kind of that was what went through my head, and then I re- I saw an article on I, I think it was on Io Nine or one of those websites that said it's sci-fi for for the thinking man or sci-fi that makes you think. And I read that article. I was like, okay, this I think I'll check this out. The cast is really good. It's got Natalie Portman, of course, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, Oscar Isaac, who of course is Poe Dameron and was also one of the main characters in Ex Machina. And it also starred Tessa Thompson, who was everyone's favorite drunken Valkyrie in Thor. And what's interesting, as I said earlier, this thing is was released in the theaters in the U.S., but Paramount really had, when they saw it, they're like, wow, this is might be too smart for the average audience. And for the rest of the world, they they sent it to Netflix. So it's, it will be hitting Netflix everywhere else but here. And it is based on a novel. I believe it's three novels. More stuff to read by uh, Jeff, Jeff Vandermeer. Yeah, right. And this, like, shimmer appears over the this area and as they say it it refracts everything so it takes what is going on in this area and it alters it and creates something new so whether that's with evolution or with the way plants grow or there's or uh yeah satellite signals signals, gps different sounds coming through radios and what i kind of like is that's all they really talk about they don't get into how well how is this working it's just you know, oh, it's refracting it. It's not allowing us to figure out where we are. It's not allowing us to communicate. In some ways, it's making people interact differently with each other and lose time. But they don't go into explaining it too much. It's just look oh, at yeah. all the pretty stuff that this is creating. You know, it, it really, the um, kind of overall production design really reminded me of one of my favorite movies. And what I think one of the most visually spectacular films of the time was What Dreams May Come. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. With Robin Williams. It's a very inside the shimmer. It's a very, they even refer to it as uh very dreamlike and the treatment of the film was very soft. Well, when they're inside the shimmer, things are very soft. There's a lot of glint to things. There's not an over, not like a Abrams film where there's an overwhelming amount of lens flares. Well, the shimmer itself looks oily. It looks like a giant oily bubble. And in every shot, you can tell that that yeah. the sunlight is being filtered through that look. So it's I thought it was really interesting. It was beautiful without being overly vivid. So it wasn't like like Avatar where the mm-hmm. blues were like pure cyan and the greens were pure bright green. Everything had a was toned down quite a bit, which made you constantly reminded you that these people were inside of something. It, they never really forgot to do that, you know, that lookup tables or yep. LUT, which is oh, you know, color changes for us nerds. And I thought that was one of the major strong points of the movie, just reminding you what was going on. 
also this movie had some of the most unsettling parts I've ever seen in a movie. It there's a part in this movie. I actually read a headline. Um, I can't remember what website it was, but it said Annihilation has one of the most disturbing scenes in the last like 50 years of film really? or something like that. And oh yeah, it's it's uh unsettling. I I think this is the best I don't way get to describe it. My movie is super unsettling. I got super There was a couple parts out. that I found myself I was lifting myself off the chair and my stomach was like twisting in knots and that's I mean I can we, we can describe ha. the scene. Rob, if you don't want to hear you can step away since you have not seen it yet, but That's all right. Well, there is a um, – on bloodydisgusting.com, which is where I get most of my horror news, they posted this clip that we're talking about. So it is um, – I can describe it this way. It's a very reminiscent of the uh, flashback scene from Event Horizon, which I may bring up again later. Um, there, there were two scenes that, that got me, the one being the soldier – when they find they find this videotape mm-hmm. of them holding down of like a previous group of people that went into this thing, they found a videotape of them cutting mm-hmm. a, basically a window in his stomach. And when they do it, his his intestines are actually like spiraling around inside of him like a snake, like curled on top, curled on top of itself, like mm-hmm. his large intestine is. So it either looks like there's some sort of at the time you're like, was this a parasite? What's going on? But it turns out that it was basically him evolving, and his intestines were moving on their own. Weird. And it made my stomach twist up. That also might be the red curry that I ate earlier that day that might have helped that stomach twisting up part. But it's, um, yeah, I'm sure that was one part. And then there was the bear. The bear. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, the my bear. God. The bear. So yeah. the actual skeleton bear that we were talking about at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Inside of the shimmers, Greg said everything is altered and that includes DNA of uh plant life, human life, you know, all the flora, all the fauna, and there's some pretty scary creatures in there. Um, actually, really just two. There's a, a gigantic crocodile. With shark teeth. It's got, like, shark teeth, and, like, in the back of its throat, it has more teeth, almost like the... They like a lamprey. I was thinking more like the... Uh, the Snorlax pit. The Snorlax Snor- pit. Snorlax. The Snorlax pit. <laughs> yeah. The Snorlax pit? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> The Snorlax, Snorlax is a character from Pokemon. Um, so yeah, one of the characters, uh, you know, is, is mauled by this bear and the bear comes back, but it's not the same bear. And, um, it's, it's, like it's a bear, super the, disturbing. The skull is sort of unsettling. like a bear skull kind of mixed with it's, a deer skull kind of mixed with a human skull. And it makes a sound that is reminiscent of the last person that it killed screaming. And it has sort of its mm-hmm. own T-Rex moment where it's right in front of these people screaming in their face and they're not really able to move because they won't because the bear won't know that they're there, I guess, if if they don't move. And it's they do a lot of close ups. Yeah, they were pretty quick to figure that out. Yeah. I mean, the bear doesn't then, have any eyes. So this thing mauls one of the characters and it was like the most graphic long mauling I've ever seen in a movie. And it was even more than like the Revenant. <laughs> Yeah, so when I was watching that scene, I thought, man, this part really makes the Revenant look, you know, not so bad. And especially how that ended for that character. I was just like, damn! It was, the bear was the other part. There's those two parts that made me like, ugh. But then it ends, kind of a beautiful, thought-provoking ending. Slightly less sciencey than the rest of the movie. Less yeah. sciencey, more tool video. 
Yeah, and that's exactly what Speaking I thought of. when I saw that. There was there were some scenes at the end where this there's this creature that it looks like it's made of mother of pearl and it it reminded me of a tool video. I mean it reminded me of early tool videos. It like had this the move stop motion. It was not mm-hmm. humanoid, but it moved in a very human like manner, almost like it was lear- learning how to be human as it went. And it was uh mm-hmm. yeah, that that I really liked it, but it was definitely when that movie was over. It was one of those where everyone in the theater was, it was actually a pretty packed theater too, was uncomfortably silent. Like looking around, like, are we supposed to get up now? In fact, I actually, mm. I was, it was like two in the morning. So I yeah. rushed out because I knew I had to be up early in the morning the next day. <laughs> um, my girlfriend and I saw it at Epic Theaters, which if you're not familiar with Epic, they have all like leather, super comfortable reclining seats. And it was really odd to be in that situation with all those people who were, we were all like laying down together watching this movie. And, you know, when it ended, it was kind of the same thing. I just looked around and I was like, this is a very intimate mm-hmm. moment I'm sharing with all these people. And I really don't like, know I, what to do with I myself right leaving now. Because no one else moved. And I knew it wasn't like a Marvel movie. It's not like there was something after the credits. And I kind of like got up and I felt like I was doing something wrong. I was like, yeah, no, we looked it up. There wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Are we all mm-hmm. like indoctrinated? Like, what is? Yeah, is this a brainwashing uh, film? A couple, just a couple other little things. So, I just mentioned the movie is very science based, and yeah. that's not a mistake because the Alex Garland, his uh, grandfather on his mother's side, was actually won the Nobel Prize for medicine, and he tends to all of his movies seem to really explore, especially Ex Machina, which explored artificial intelligence. This movie, which explored, in a way, what does the universe have in store for you? You know, like what does the universe actually want something from you, which is kind of what's in there as well as other themes, like of course, evolution and self-destruction because all of the main characters, which uh, all of the characters yep. that are, that have headed into the, all, all the characters who are watching head into this dome are female characters. And it was very interesting seeing that. And, you know, one of them is going in there because her husband went in and came out very, very messed up. And just some of the other people have mm-hmm. also made bad decisions in their lives, so they have decided to go in there. So it's a very interesting discussion on on you know suicide mission versus yeah. mission of self destruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, very interesting. So totally, I mean, when I got done with it, I was I tried to explain it to my wife the next day. I was like, you know, it's very similar. It's sci fi and it has some action, but it is very similar to you know something like Contact or The Arrival or Interstellar. Maybe a little bit of the thing you added. Well. Um, my, I did, I added three other ones and, um, for me, it was very much a culmination, not culmination, but inspired by aliens, um, abyss and mm-hmm. very much event. I would horizon. say like it, I mean, even a little bit of alien covenant in, in pacing wise. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's yeah. very good. Um, I have a feeling it'll be on Netflix sooner than later. Cause I believe even at the beginning, they have like a Netflix logo that comes up. So it is an, a Netflix picture. So you'll, if you don't get a chance to see it in the theater, which I would suggest because it's very pretty, you'll definitely be able to see it on Netflix. Very, yeah. And I mean, I, I'd love to know, Rob, you know, what you I, think. I if definitely you're able still to see plan on going to see it. When we went to see Game Night, it was a decision between Annihilation or Game Night. Mm-hmm. We were just in the mood for a comedy that night. So we went to see Game Night instead. I gotcha. But, yeah. I'm, it's An not Annihilation. No. I don't think there's a single joke in that movie. There isn't. Yeah. There wasn't a part sure. where I was like, ha Maybe an uncomfortable, like, ha And speaking of uncomfortable, <laughs> I think it's time for the question. 
<laughs> if only to make Jimmy stop in making that yeah, weird laugh. Let's do it. <laughs> so speaking of unsettling, when I got out of this movie, the first thing I, I texted to two people that knew I was at the movie was like, wow, that was really unsettling. So in thinking about our question of this week, I wanted to think, what was your most unsettling parts of movies? Like not the whole movie, but you know, a specific part of a movie that would be unsettling to you. So I'll go ahead and go first with my top five most unsettling movie scenes that I've, I've seen. Um, I don't are, think, are you doing the dramatic pause for a particular reason? <laughs> yes. Okay. I am. Flash, flash, hundred yard dash. <laughs> so my number five is going to be the death of Captain Rhodes from Day of the Dead, also known as the uh, head pulling off, gut ripping scene. I saw that super young. That came out in 1985. That was the wonderfully talented Sam, Tom Savini, Sam Tavini, Tom Savini behind that. <laughs> and it was super realistic. It looks super good still to this day for 1985. Number four. Thanks for reminding me, Greg, is the curb stomp scene from American I'd, History X. I'd, li I'd like to take credit for that because that wasn't Greg. Oh, okay. It was you. and But I had you. it on my list too already. I, I keep my list hidden. You do. Number three was the bear from Annihilation. Super unsettling. Okay. Uh, gives me chills thinking about it. Number two is the tent scene from the Blair Witch Project where they're sitting inside the tent and you see, you hear the kind of the laughter outside and you see all the hands press up against the tent. Oh yeah. Yeah. It gives me chills thinking about it. And the number one most unsettling movie scene is the flashback where you find out what happened to the previous crew aboard the event horizon from the movie event horizon. Man, that movie pops up a whole lot with us. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorites. What can I say? So who's going next? Greg, how about you go next? I'm looking up one thing first, so hold okay. on a second. Well, since he's looking up, I'll go next. All right. Um, I I did have a couple of honorable mentions, and they were honorable mentions simply because they were not actual movies. They were mm -hmm. they were scenes from TV shows. Um, so I had to give an honorable mention to the Red Wedding from Game of Thrones. Of um, course, super unsettling, especially especially when they when they vividly show you the pregnant lady getting stabbed in the belly. And the, the, you know, the mom just having her throat slit and whatnot. It, it was yeah. very, very graphic, very unsettling. If, if you want to know how unsettling it was for other people, just type in red wedding reaction on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, Go ahead. pretty intense. Um, the other one is also from a TV show and that was, uh, Glenn and Negan from The Walking Dead. R.I.P. Glenn. R.I.P. Glenn. So bad. spoiler alert. Dang it, Jimmy. Sorry. So I'll go ahead and go with mine. Um, and I, I actually, I actually had a little bit of trouble with this one. I, I was having trouble remembering ones that, that really, really affected me. Um, but one of the mm -hmm. ones that I thought of right off the bat that, and it's going to be fairly low on my list simply because I haven't seen the movie, but I have seen the scene because I've had, there were a lot of people who were talking about it and it was, it was one that, that I had to, that I had to see just to, because people were talking about it, but it, it was the, the actual curb stomp from American history X that was on your list, Jimmy. And, and, um, that was one of the first ones that came to mind. Yep. Um, probably number four on my list and 
not so much that it was disturbing, but it was one of those ones that just made me go, oh my God, what the hell? Was the the scene in Exorcist where the little girl like uh, upside down walks down the stairs? Uh, the uh, Reagan. What's that? The crab walk. Yeah, mm-hmm. d- down the stairs. Uh, I was I'm like, sure, that scene was not in the original Exorcist. I think it was put in when they re-released it. I think that it was. Oh, is that yep. is that is that true? All right, yeah. but still, mm-hmm. because it's it was in the movie, worthy. it was worthy of being in there. It just they, I don't think they had the ability to do it as well as they wanted or edited gotcha. it in or whatever. So they put it in the re-release. Gotcha. All right. Um, probably my number three is going to be, and and I saw this when I was young. I'm pretty sure it's from Poltergeist. And and I say that now, but um, it's the scene where the the dad is, I believe it's the dad, is looking in the mirror and his tooth falls out. And then he notices something in his cheek and he like, oh, yeah, and he like digs a hole in his face. And then he just kind of like continues to just like peel off his face like he can't believe that it's actually just falling off. And I remember seeing that as a kid and I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> he just peeled his face off. I, yep, I remember that. God, I could pick out some scenes from, you know, the first Poltergeist, but anyway. Yeah. So my number two is going to be an older movie. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's called The Accused, and it's with I've not seen Jody, with Jodie Foster, and it's a courtroom drama. But the scene in particular is what the entire whole, what the entire courtroom movie is about. Jodie Foster is in a bar getting pretty intoxicated and dancing and whatnot. And there are, I want to say like six guys in the bar who take notice. And there's this huge, there's this six man gang rape scene with Jodie Foster in this bar. It's, it's fairly hard to watch. And one of the other things that makes it fairly terrible is that while all of this is going on, they continue to show that there's other patrons in the bar who don't get up and do a thing. Nobody, nobody calls 911. Everybody just kind of keeps their head down. Like, no, it's, you know, it's not our business. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing we can do. Don't get involved. Don't get involved. And that's, that's one of the, that's also one of the things that lends to it being such a difficult scene to watch. But, but my number one, and this was also one of the other scenes that I thought of when, when we, when we were talking about doing this question and I remember when this movie came out, how how much it affected a certain group of the population. The opening sequence to Saving Private Ryan, oh yeah, was was that one crossed so, my mind as well. Was so impactful. I mean, veterans from World War World War Two Two World War Two, yeah. yeah, were had to get up and leave the theater. They, they, they just couldn't, they couldn't handle it. It was, it, it brought them back that they couldn't, it it, it was, it just overloaded them Mm -hmm. and it, it brought them right back to that day and they, they couldn't handle it. They had to get up and, and watching it, it saving private Ryan, I think kind of revolutionized how we, how we portray the big battles. in movies. I think it did because they portrayed it more like documentary filmmaking than like right. this great dramatic thing. And even Dunkirk did the same thing. Right. It, and not seen that yet. In which one? Saving Private Ryan or Dunkirk? Dunkirk. Oh, I've, I've seen Saving Private Ryan. Okay. But there there were actually two scenes in Saving Private Ryan. 
um, that was that was probably the main one because I believe that was the one that actually that actually had people getting up and walking out of the theater just because they couldn't handle the scene. Would um, the other one be involving Gio- Giovanni Ribisi and his um, gut wound, or like the trying to seal off the wound? Oh. Um, yeah, n- no, but that's, that's another, that's another good one. The other one that, that I was, that I remember watching and I'm like, oh no, 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 no. Was the one where the American soldier, I don't remember who it was, but the American soldier was struggling with the German soldier over the knife. The it knife was Goldberg. Scene. It was, um, I yep. think Adam Goldberg or whatever yeah. that guy's name is. And, and they're, they're struggling yeah. over the knives, over the knife. And the German soldier ends up on top of him and he's blocking the knife, but the knife is slowly inching its way towards his chest and he just can't stop it. And the mm-hmm. German soldier slowly, slowly, slowly just sinks it home. And you, you, mm-hmm. you see his face, you see the pain on his face, then you see it go, you see him pass. And if I'm not mistaken, there was one of his, one of his um, squad mates was actually in the room, but was too scared to do anything. If I he's remember correctly, he's up in the tower. Oh. Well, the guy getting killed okay. is up in the tower, and the other one's down at the balloons. It's the guy that was scared and was he was kind of sniveling, right? But yeah, because the guy, the character that's getting stabbed is Mellish, is his name. Yes, and he was yes. actually the one Jewish character, which is why being up close and personal was actually like, oh. And the other one is down at the bottom, like whimpering. In fact, if you look it up on Google, it's it's right. The picture that shows up is that guy down below sniveling at the bottom with like bullet belts wrapped around his neck. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, so you know it's interesting that movie occurred to me as as well for this, and and when I first asked this question earlier today, I was I was thinking, well, maybe this is going to be difficult, and then I realized that those scenes, at least if I saw them, they stuck in my mind, and they weren't. It wasn't that difficult. Uh, so my my first one was actually from Black Swan, which the, the when she's going over and over again trying to practice her her foot toe thing. And it's showing mm-hmm. her toenails like slowly breaking off mm-hmm. as she does it, and like the fixing of the cuticles Ew. and stuff like that. And like I'm talking about it now, my toes are curled. Like, ugh. So yeah. that, was, that was my number five. Um, number four is the scene in seven in the sloth room, which mm. sounds adorable. <laughs> which kind of sounds adorable now that I'm saying it out loud because a sloth room would be pretty cute. Aww. Yeah, but I'm talking is the that- room with all the the hanging little Christmas tree. Hanging, yeah, 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 and the guy cool. in bed, oh, and then not that was bed. my freshman year of college, and I didn't realize how busy movie theaters got in a college town. So I ended up getting like I went with a bunch of friends, but ended up sitting alone, like Nick. And that when he coughed, some random girl jumped out of her seat and landed in my lap, <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, "Yeah." No, I mean I wasn't at the time. I was like, "Whoa, that." Yeah, that was just that cough. And then realizing that that guy was actually that thin in real life and the actor that they picked for him really looked like that other than the rotting and sore and all the sores and stuff. But that was, uh, that was my number four. Uh, number three, I actually just watched again recently would be train spotting, uh, the toilet scene. Cause I am a bit of a germaphobe and seeing someone kneeling oh. down on a bathroom floor gets me like, uh, God, no, no, you, th- you know, your knees are going to fall off. And then he, then he climbs into oh. the, the crap filled toilet to get get his heroin that he dropped in there i'm just uh, all of the diseases number two we talked about the curb stomp from american history x Mm -hmm. and number one i've actually seen this movie Mm -hmm. it is i believe a french film so i'm gonna mispronounce it horribly but uh, own chien andalou which is i believe from like the 1930s and it's a slow motion scene of someone cutting their eyeball with a razor blade okay but it's an art film 
I don't think it actually happened. I think it was definitely a special effect, but because it was filmed so long ago and you don't think about special effects being around that time, it has this like air of like realness. So, so that one, Ooh. I was even thinking about like, maybe I need to watch it again to describe it. And I couldn't watch it again <laughs> to describe it. So that was my number one, the uh, cutting an eyeball with a, uh, with a razor blade mm. would be my number one from all the way back to in the 1930s, I believe. Yeah. I shouldn't have Googled that. So. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. On that note, good night. <laughs> okay, so we are now going to try to whittle this down to our top five. This is going to be very interesting because all of us have different things that get us, you know, that make us feel uncomfortable. So clearly, American History X has got to be on there. Yeah. So we'll it, it made all on. five of our lists. Agreed. Yep. Okay. And I think we need to focus on maybe unsettling as well, other than maybe pure horror in some cases, but Rob wants to fight for, for saving pirate Ryan. And I almost think that the, the slow knife thing is way worse. Cause you actually know the character a lot better mm-hmm. at that point. It's not as impersonal as the opening battle scene. Cause you don't know those characters yet. Agreed. I've got to fight for the, um, the tent scene from the Blair witch project. Hmm. Okay. Make state your case. It was the, not the first, found footage film but it certainly had so many people believing at the time that it was an actual real you know piece of footage um and the part where you hear the children laughing out in the middle of the woods and you see their little hands press against uh you know this tent is uh very very unsettling and it's the part where you know the the group kind of kind of breaks off anything anytime there's little children laughing in the woods uh, it's unsettling. In fact, the, one of the projects Jimmy and I do for our class, we do like a children's TV show, and the students always seem to pick this like children laughing file, like audio file to play in a lot of their projects, and it always come out way creepier than happy children laughing. So mm-hmm. I'm okay with it, but I don't know if it would be in like the top three. I, I wouldn't put it top three. I, I can give you Blair Witch. I wouldn't put it top three. I'd I'd be more inclined to give you the Event Horizon one. Yeah, all right. And I think I, I do would definitely, mm-hmm. even though I don't know if you guys have seen it. I mean, you saw the picture of it, but I definitely think that Un Chien Andalou eyeball scene is definitely in there. Even the still image of it is getting me. Yeah, really wish I hadn't Googled that. <laughs> oh, God, no. It's a straight razor and it's not. No, just no. God, that, I, that needs to be on there. <laughs> may I? Yes, I'll give you that one. You may. Okay, so we got four of the... I... I don't, think, don't. I don't think we did see any. You didn't write your list out, so I can't. I can't. Uh, Black Swan, uh, Seven, the sloth scene, train spotting, the toilet scene, which a lot of you guys reacted to on that one. American History X, and then the eyeball. That's scene. the train spotting toilet scene is just flat out awful. Um, there are other parts in that film, but that part certainly uh, made me just feel nasty, and I wanted to take a shower right yeah. after that. It's very unsettling. So I would uh, give a plus one to that. Shall I add it to the list, Rob? I I haven't seen it, so I can't say no. Uh, Ewan McGregor drops his heroin into a overflowing, gross, overflowing nasty, toilet. He goes on his knees like, and like climbs. He starts rummaging around to get it so he could like shoot it up, and then it kind of like transports into like where he gets like pulled into it, and it becomes like a druggy dream sequence, implying that he wow. actually pulled pulled the needle out of the shit filled toilet and then injected himself with it. Wow. Yeah. Ugh. Even hit without him right. going into the toilet, 
it's still the kneeling on the ground of the bathroom, even from that whole part on it. Just, yeah, just ugh. so let, let's put that on the list. But we'll so I guess what Blair Witch Five, the Unchian one, four, Train Spotting three, the slow stabbing of Saving Private Riot two, and then American History X Curb Stunt number one. I can I can get behind that, Jimmy. I would have to then switch out Blair Witch for Event Horizon. Okay. So Event Horizon five and then everything else so i think that yeah i think that does it let's uh let's close the door on this one so it's event horizon unchin and lu train spotting save it private ryan and then american history x that is our definitive five most unsettling scenes in movies that we have actually seen because everyone will have other unsettling scenes that i'm sure they're going to want to bring up and how can they do that guys you can email us send us an email hit us up on twitter or instagram let us know what you think we want to know what scenes did we miss? Because we're always looking for other movies to see as well. If you've got one that you think we need to check out, tell us. Yeah, there's a few that I didn't put on there because I didn't want people watching them. Or We just, don't want them to get in... notoriety. Well, I mean, it's just art, but I don't think the art may... the artists meant anything bad by it. But there are, except for one, there's one I left off on purpose because of that. But we've talked about it in the past. So anyway... Uh, there are some that have been intentionally left off the list, and if you want to know what they are, send us an email, and we'll let you know, because I'm not saying them on air. Basically, I don't want to hear it from you or your mama. Maybe from your mama. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. talk about the you know top five movies i don't care about coming out this year like uh 50 shades of dumbass <laughs> robo jimmy strikes again <laughs> robo jimmy now i think all the 50 shades of great movies have come out i think we're done with those now 50 shades of i don't give a shit <laughs> jimmy's doing his best drunken uncle at the barbecue dirty sex movie <laughs> Keep your hands off my man. Fifty uh, shades of nasty ass. Wow. Boop. I'm just gonna get Jimmy just ranting and raving about that movie. That's what next year for my birthday I'm gonna make him watch it. <laughs> Fifty shades if I quit this shit. <laughs> okay, belligerent Jimmy. I wish I could quit you. <laughs> wow. Fifty Shades of Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Good movie. Uh... Yeah.